Have you ever wanted something so badly that you were willing to uh, manipulate or steal or lie for it? Nothing was going to stop you from getting what you wanted. And, And if not you, if you haven't taken that posture, then perhaps you've known someone like that. It is a mercy of God that sometimes He stops us from getting everything we want in the way that we want it. It is a mercy of God that not every person and plan is unstoppable. But think of all of that unstoppable commitment bound up in the all-powerful and perfectly good God. That is a combination of unrivaled perfection, unwavering commitment, and unstoppable power that spells unending blessing for the people of God. This is what we see demonstrated in God's Word this morning. Here we find committed rebels, liars, and schemers bowled over by the unstoppable blessing of God. And all of this ought to bring us joy and thankfulness that we have a God who is committed to His perfect plan to bless, save, and perfect His imperfect people. If you haven't done so already, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. We're looking at verses 1 to 40 this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage on page 29. In the book of Genesis, God has announced that He's the creator of the world and all that is in it. He has also made a promise and unfolded a plan in this book. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God promised that He would send His Son to defeat sin and Satan and death. He would rescue ruined rebels like you and me. And as Genesis has unfolded, God has focused that promise and that plan on Abraham, his family, and his line. In our last study together, in Genesis chapter 26, we saw that God's blessing of Abraham had been passed on to his son Isaac. And in our study today, in Genesis chapter 27, just verses 1 to 40, we see that the Lord's blessing will be, must be, passed on to Jacob, the second son of Isaac. The passing on of the Abrahamic promises and blessing, these last few chapters has been revealing to us that God is faithful from generation to generation. And as we come to our passage today, we see that the passing on of the Abrahamic blessing to Jacob comes about in the most rebellious, manipulative, deceitful, regrettable, and glorious way. Every human person in this passage is sinfully scheming, while the Lord is sovereignly orchestrating His will. Here we learn, as my seminary professor once said, that the sovereign Lord rules over sin, and overrules sin, to accomplish His gracious purposes. Nothing and no one can stop the sovereign plan of God to bless His people. Beloved, that's the sermon in a sentence. Nothing and no one can stop the sovereign plan of God to bless His people. Rebellion will not stop God's blessing. Manipulation will not stop God's blessing. Deception will not stop God's blessing. Greed and grief will not stop God's blessing. Nothing 
and no one can stop the sovereign plan of God to bless His people. This should be a comfort to each one of us here this morning because we're just like the people that we find in this passage. Uh, The people in this passage are so mixed with sin and so mixed up in sin. But not even their sin, not even your sin, can stop the sovereign plan of God to bless His people. We'll unpack Genesis chapter 27 verses 1 to 40 in four sections under four headings. I believe there's an outline provided there in your bulletin. I trust that will be helpful uh, to you as you follow along in God's Word. Let's begin with our first point. Rebellion will not stop God's blessing. Follow along as I read from Genesis chapter 27, just verses 1 to 4 for now. Genesis 27 verses 1 to 4. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim... So that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son? And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. These four verses establish the frame for the 40 verses that we're looking at together this morning. And the key idea in these four verses, and in fact in all 40 verses, is this idea of blessing. The idea of blessing appears nearly 20 times in our passage. But these verses, they begin importantly by telling us that Isaac is old. Isaac himself acknowledges that the day of his death may be very near. Now, it was common practice in the ancient Near Eastern world for a father to begin to prepare for death by blessing his sons with property and possessions. In the life of the people of Israel, it was more than a custom, though. It was a command. So when it came to blessing his sons with an inheritance, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, we learn that the firstborn son, that's Esau, was to receive a double portion of all that belonged to his father. We're not only told something about Isaac's age, that he's old, but we're also told that his eyes were dim so that he could not see. Now Isaac's poor eyesight is going to play into the events that follow as others prey upon his poor sight. But Isaac, as we see here, he's not poor and helpless. He's not a poor and helpless person in this story. He is active. He has an appetite. And he has an agenda. We see that Isaac has this appetite there in verses 3 and 4 when he demands that his son Esau hunt, cook, uh, and, and serve him food. That's not all that's surprising. For in uh, Genesis chapter 25, verse 28, Moses told us that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. How sad that this father-son relationship is so transactional. It's based upon how his son served him. Isaac seemed to love Esau for what he could give him. It almost seems as though Isaac's love for Esau was selfish rather than selfless. I mean, isn't that the heart of verse 3 and 4 there? You bring me food, and I'll bless you. You fill my stomach, and I'll fill your savings account. Parents, just look at this and think about this. Work hard to make sure your relationship with your children are not based on what they bring you. I love them because God gave them to you. Not because of what they bring to you. They are a stewardship from the Lord, not servants of your needs. Our culture often today thinks of children like accessories 
to be used, to give your life meaning, to establish your legacy, to bring your life joy. And no doubt in God's kindness they often do. But if you're looking to use your kids to fill up your life with purpose, you're going to end up an empty cup. Only the Lord can fill your heart. He gives children, not so they can worship and serve you, but so that you can worship and serve God and teach your children that He is worthy of worship. In the midst of this passage, there's this strong undercurrent of rebellion. And it's not just Isaac serving his stomach. The Bible teaches in places like Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, certainly that warns about making a st- your stomach a God that you serve. But that's not the most egregious act of rebellion that Isaac is undertaking in these verses. No, he is rebelling against God's plan for which of his sons would receive this blessing. You see, Isaac knew that the Lord God had chosen Jacob to be the one who would receive the Abrahamic promises and blessing. If you flip back a couple of chapters, let me encourage you to go back just a couple of chapters to Genesis 25. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 25. Find verses 21 to 23 and follow along. Genesis 25, verses 21 to 23. And Isaac prayed to the Lord Yahweh for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord Yahweh granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord Yahweh. And the Lord Yahweh said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within. You shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Do you see that there? The older son Esau will not be the one who carries on God's saving promises. Rather, it will be the younger son, Jacob. Such are the surprising and sovereign ways of God. God chose the younger Abel rather than the older Cain. God chose the younger Isaac rather than the older Ishmael. Now God chooses the younger Jacob rather than the older Esau. Isaac had to know about God's purposes. And with his agenda to bless Esau, rather than Jacob, we see him rebelling against God's purposes. And Isaac should have known better too. Not only did Esau sell his birthright for a bowl of stew, but he also married two Hittite women and made the lives of his parents bitter. Esau was already demonstrating in his life that he brings bitterness, not blessing. With Isaac's rebellious agenda to bless Esau, the plans and promises of God appear to be in jeopardy. Flip back to Genesis 27 and look at verse 1 again. You see what it says there about Isaac's sight? It says his eyes were dim so that he could not see. Now this was no doubt first and foremost a a reflection on his, his physical eyesight. But it's also plain that in his rebellion he was not seeing with eyes of faith. He wasn't seeing as the Lord wanted him to see. He couldn't see, wouldn't see that it was Jacob that God had chosen to bless. Well, all of Jacob's rebellion is going to be overturned by God's unstoppable blessing. And there is coming a moment for him, for Isaac, when he will be forced to see, he will be made to see that God will have his way. Beloved, you cannot deny that sometimes you are too much like Jacob. You know God's revelation in the scriptures, and still sadly, from time to time you've rebelled. Uh, You should be confronted by that truth 
And you should turn away from such rebellion. You should be confronted and you should be comforted because God is pleased to bless rebels like us despite our sin. Rebellion will not stop God's gracious blessing and neither will manipulation. This is our our second point. Manipulation will not stop God's blessing. Follow along as I read verses 5 to 17 of Genesis 27. 5 to 17 of Genesis 27. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord Yahweh before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. These verses... Uh, They expose for us the reality that Isaac and Rebekah had competing agendas and aims for their sons. In verse 5, we were told that Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. And then in verse 6, do you see the words? Rebekah spoke to, said to her son, Jacob. This is a household divided on who should have the blessing. Isaac rebelled against God's will for Jacob to receive the blessing. And Rebekah was rebellious against God's revealed will concerning respect for her husband. I mean, how much has that marriage deteriorated to the point where Rebekah preys upon Isaac's old age, his inability to see, and the appetites of his stomach to get her way? Isaac sinned, and Rebekah sinned. Sadly, Rebekah was living out the promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. It's true that Rebekah's agenda was aligned with God's agenda. She knew that Jacob was supposed to get the blessing. That's what God had said. It's true that Isaac's agenda was rebellious and sinful. But a husband's sin does not authorize a wife's sin. As we've learned over and over again in the book of Genesis, God's promises will come by God's power. Not man's power. The righteous ends of making sure the blessing goes to Jacob... Don't justify the sinful means. God never condones or commends sin. Rebecca is trying to help God fulfill his promises. You realize that, right? Rebecca is trying to help God fulfill his promises. Like really, actually Sarah, the previous matriarch, had done before her. Remember Genesis 16? When the sun wouldn't come on Sarah's timetable, she tried the Hagar method. 
She sinfully schemed, manipulated her own husband, Abraham, into sinning against God and her, and Ishmael was conceived. Rebekah had now come up with her own manipulative and sinful scheme to help God keep his promises to bless Jacob. She is manipulating not just her husband, but we see Jacob too. He is being drawn in to Rebekah's manipulative plot. The goal, of course, is as we see there in verse 10, so that he, Isaac, may bless you before he dies. Rebekah is not trusting the Lord to overcome Isaac's rebellion. She is trusting in her own ability to outwit her old husband. And it is at this point that Jacob should have objected. Right? He should have objected. He should have said, Mother, I love you, but this is wrong. But that's not what he says, is it? We cannot do this. Deception is a tool of the devil. That's what he should have said. But that's not what he said, is it? As one pastor observed, he didn't say, Mother, this is wrong. He said, Mother, this isn't going to work. And that is a worldly way of thinking, isn't it? It is pragmatic rather than principled. Sometimes we are so concerned with whether or not we can do something that we don't ask the more important and moral question of whether or not we should do something. Is this plan right and righteous according to God's revealed will in His Word? For His part, Jacob, as we see there in verse 12, is concerned with receiving a blessing. He he wants the blessing, but he he doesn't want the mockery of his father to bring a curse upon him. And that should have struck Rebecca's ears and convicted her. She, She should have heard those words and realized, I'm actually mocking my husband with all that I'm trying to pursue here, rather than honoring him. Beloved, when you are willing to sin against another and slight another, mock another, in order to get what you want, be warned Turn away, change course. Rebecca should have repented and changed course. But no, she goes all in, doesn't she? Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. Rebecca, she goes all in on her manipulative plot. Rebecca is assuring Jacob that she will take full responsibility for the outcome if it goes sideways. She will bear Isaac's wrath. If Jacob is found out, Rebecca will be the Savior. She will take the curse. Dear, let us recognize that manipulation reaches for being the master, being the one in control of everything. And we see that Rebecca's thoroughgoing commitment to every little detail in verses 14 to 17. Isaac loves to eat, and he asked Esau for food. Check, I'll make him a meal. Verse 14. Isaac might want to smell Jacob and confirm that he is Esau. Check, I'll put him in Esau's garments. Verse 15. Isaac might want to touch Jacob and confirm that he's Esau. Check, I'll cover his hands and neck with the skin of young goats. Verse 16. Rebecca, she preys upon Isaac's poor eyesight and manipulates the other senses, the touch, the taste, and smell. She puts the food in Jacob's hands and pushes him into the tent, so to speak. Without condoning or commending Rebecca's sinful manipulation, God will use every portion of her attention to detail for His glory. (coughs) Manipulation will not stop God's blessing. And neither will deception. That's our third point. Deception will not stop God's blessing. Follow along as I read verses 18 to 29. Genesis 27 verses 18 to 29. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. 
Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord Yahweh your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac kissed him. Come near, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord Yahweh has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let the peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. I wonder if you counted how many times Jacob lied or used deception in these short verses. I've got six times that he lied or deceived. There, there may be more, depending on how you count. And though Isaac could not see, let us remember that the Lord Yahweh saw it all. Uh, dear children, young people, let me remind you of that. When you attempt to deceive your parents, though they may not see, the Lord sees it all. Uh, like Isaac and Rebekah before him, Jacob announces his agenda. In verse 18, he deceitfully dons the wrong name. And in verse 19, he deceitfully declares that he has done all his father has asked him. But there's a purpose clause at the end of verse 19. That your soul may bless me. Jacob is every bit as guilty as Rebekah for using sinful means to obtain his father's blessing. The blessing, it was coming to him. The Lord Yahweh promised he would receive it even before he was born. And the Lord always keeps his promises. Jacob did not have to do this. But he did not trust God to bring about his promises in his way or in his time. Instead, he took matters into his own hands and deployed the tactics of the devil to get what he wanted. Recognize that Jacob is deploying the tactics of the devil to get his blessing. Deceit is a tool of the devil. And one of the most bone-chilling statements in this entire chapter is found there in verse 20. When Isaac asks how Jacob, posing as Esau, found the game so quickly, Jacob deploys the name of the holy God for unholy deception. The entire episode was already spoiled. When he broke the fifth commandment, he did not honor his father. He makes matters worse by violating the third commandment. He took the Lord's name in vain. He uses the Lord's name for his own game. Have you ever tried to do that before? Perhaps baptize some activity that you're doing. The Lord would really want me to do this. But you know at heart it's actually sinful and rebellious. 
Have you ever asked God to bless a sinful scheme? And notice how he puts it there at the end of verse 20. Do you see that there? The Lord Yahweh, your God, your God, granted me success. Jacob doesn't claim Yahweh as his God. This is still Isaac's God. When you are deceiving, you're not depending. When you are deceiving that there's necessarily great relational distance between you and God. In fact, Jacob won't actually claim Yahweh as his God until we get almost to the end of the next chapter. God's blessing is a good thing. But we should never seek good gifts from God through sinful means. We especially cannot baptize God's name in a sinful act. We cannot wrap our sinful acts in God's name and call what is evil, deceit, good. Now, I'm I'm sure you noticed in verse uh, 21 to 24 that Isaac kind of double-checked, right, to make sure that he was blessing Esau. This only caused Jacob really to descend further into deceit because his voice almost gave him away. Right at the end of verse 23, we're told, so he blessed them. But when verse 24 continues, it's almost as if Isaac has misgivings and once again asks, are you really my son Esau? Jacob has to lie another time. In verses 25 to 29, we see that Jacob, he got what he came for. He received this blessing. It was God's plan for Jacob to receive this blessing. But it came about in such an unimaginable way. And what we've read here reminds me of a line from an old Puritan minister who used to say that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. After Isaac invokes Yahweh's name in verse 27, the blessing that he passes on to his son touches on prosperity, people's position, and protection. Verse 28 especially speaks to the prosperity that Jacob would enjoy. Isaac prays for him to know the the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. This is a prayer for Jacob's prosperity in every sphere of his material existence. Uh, When Hebrew writers use the phrase, heaven and earth, that's kind of a a merism. They mean from everything from top to bottom and everything in between. In every way, Isaac is trying to bless Jacob in prosperity. From heaven and earth, food and drink, he's to be blessed. This is the language actually as well. It's reminiscent of of the promised land. right? A, A land that will be bountiful and blessed, flowing with good things, milk and honey and so on. Isaac's drawing on the the promises of God that were made to Abraham and giving him offspring, uh, prosperity, and a blessed place. Isaac is intentionally passing on those blessings to Jacob, even if he means for them to go really to who? To, To Esau, right? But God also promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And so, in the first line of verse 29, he declares, Let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Here is dominion and rule over seemingly the whole earth, the peoples of the earth. We, of course, know that these promises are not only going to be focused uh, as the storyline of the Bible develops, but that they're going to find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So just think of how Genesis progresses. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, uh, this kind of unfurls this blessing further, saying, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, it's one of Jacob's sons, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Psalm 2, verse 8, further reveals that the great Messiah, the son of David, will receive the nations as his heritage, and the ends of the earth as his possession, that he'll rule over them. This blessing upon Jacob is in that long line of promises concerning Jesus. Jesus is the great king who will rule over the unendingly fruitful new heavens and new earth. 
Jesus is the great king in the book of Revelation to whom the peoples of the earth actually bring tribute to. In that book, heavenly beings and peoples constantly bow down before Jesus and they serve him. That, of course, was always the ultimate and final goal of these Abrahamic promises that are being passed on from generation to generation. And Isaac continues there in the middle of verse 29. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Now remember, Isaac is attempting to rebel against God's revealed purposes. Back in Genesis 25, as we read earlier, God explicitly declared that Jacob was to be the recipient of the Abrahamic blessings. Isaac was intending to bless Esau, but instead he was blessing Jacob. The older would serve the younger, just as God promised in Genesis 25, verse 23. Isaac was attempting to rebel, but God was turning his rebellion on his head to accomplish his redemptive purposes. And the the final aspect of the blessing is one of protection there. You see verse 29 reads, Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. That's exactly what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. It was what Isaac experienced actually in his own life. And now, this promise of protection is attached to Jacob. And hearing this story would have been familiar to the people of Israel in the wilderness. Remember that the people of Israel were the ones who first received this book. They were making their way into the promised land of heaven. And so as they're hearing this story, they would have remembered some of their own experience. For example... In Numbers chapter 22, verse 24, it recounts what are commonly known as the the Balaam oracles. Uh, Balaam was a a prophet who was commissioned to curse God's people. But every time he threatened to curse the children of Jacob, God turned his curse into a blessing. Isaac was attempting to bless Esau, but instead he blessed God's chosen one, Jacob. God's blessing upon his chosen one, his chosen people, was unstoppable. And this would have reminded the ancient people of God that yes, God's blessing of us, His love for us, is unstoppable. And think about this, beloved. Rebecca's direction and Jacob's deception subverted Isaac's disobedience. And through it all, God brought about His divine plan. This ought to leave us in wonder. But doesn't God subvert man's wicked plans to bring about salvation and bless his people? Isn't that precisely what he does? I mean, didn't Judas betray? Didn't the Jewish religious leaders manipulate the Roman rulers? Didn't the witnesses lie and deceive to see Jesus condemned? Didn't the Roman rulers knowingly perpetuate injustice? And, And what came of those manipulative, deceitful, wicked plans, rebellious plans? What came of them was the unstoppable divine plan of God. Right? In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, we read these words. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. You meant to put Him to death, but God raised Him from the dead and made Him Lord and Christ. He's the Savior of all. God sovereignly used the rebellion of sinners to establish His redemptive purposes. To establish His Son as Lord and Christ. Consider too Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. For truly in this city, this is reflecting on on Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. See, just as God had predestined Jacob to be the one who received the Abrahamic blessing from Isaac, 
And just as God ruled over and overruled all of the sinful schemes of everyone in this story for His glory, so in Jesus Christ, God ruled over and overruled all of the sinful schemes of man. The Jewish religious leaders, the Roman authorities, Judas. He overruled all of them to bring about salvation and blessing in His Son for sinners like you and me. You need to understand that God cannot be stopped. Do you realize that, dear friend? God cannot be stopped. And that is good for you and for your eternal blessing and salvation. Friend, do you know this God? Have you submitted to this unstoppable God? Have you stopped rebelling against Him? He is pleased to bless sinners like us. Turn from your sin and trust in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to God the Father. The life that neither you nor I, nor anyone in this room, or anyone in the world but Jesus has lived. Jesus never rebelled. He never manipulated. He never deceived. And yet, it was rebellion, manipulation, and deception that orchestrated His death on the cross. And still, on the cross, God's redemptive purposes were at work. For Jesus died for the sins of all of those who never turned from their sins and placed their faith in Him. Jesus died bearing God's wrath against rebels, against manipulators, against deceivers, like all of us. And three days later, God raised His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the grave for the forgiveness of our sins. And now in His grace and in His mercy, He invites you to come to know His blessings, to receive His blessings of salvation. Oh friend, turn from your sin. And place your faith in Jesus Christ today. Come to Christ and receive His eternal heavenly kingdom. Receive that as a gift from Him. And that you will righteously experience and enjoy the unending dew of heaven and the fatness of the new earth and the plenty of grain and wine in glory with Jesus. Come and serve Christ and bow down before Him. Come to Christ and one day you will reign with Him in glory. Come to Christ and be eternally blessed. Rebellion will not stop God's blessing. Manipulation will not stop God's blessing. Deception will not stop God's blessing. And neither will greed or grief. Yes, Jacob has received the blessing, but the tension of the text has not yet been fully resolved. In Esau's mind, he still has a claim on that blessing. And when he returns to the tent, will his grief and greed lead Isaac to revoke his blessing? On Isaac, or on Jacob? Let's find out in our final point. Greed will not stop God's blessing. Follow along as they read verses 30 to 40 of Genesis chapter 27. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, 
He cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Esau, he of course went out into the fields with glee, hoping to quietly claim the blessing of his father. But he returned to a different reality, didn't he? We often forget that blessing, the blessing of the firstborn, at the bedside of an aging father, was to actually take place with all of the family gathered around. So everyone would know what was taking place. But Isaac and Esau had plotted quietly. They wanted to do this secretly, in the dark. Not quietly enough, to be sure, because... Uh, tent walls aren't very thick, but their plans were every bit as secret as Rebecca and Jacob's plan. Still, like the first three scenes in this narrative, the final scene announces an agenda. Esau wants um, his blessing. That's what we discover there in verses 30 and 31. Esau is completely unaware that Jacob has just strolled away with Isaac's blessing. And Esau's voice leads Isaac to violently tremble there in verse 33. Isaac realizes that he's been duped. And then, we see something significant there at the end of verse 33. Do you see it? And I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. That is the language of certainty. The blessing is irrevocable, unstoppable. Isaac has come to reckon with God's perfect purposes and providence. This is the language of submission. And faith, as Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 tells us, Isaac has finally yielded to the Lord's will. What could he do? He's been rebelling against God, but now his heart is at rest. He believes that God will indeed keep his promises to Jacob. Verses 34 to 38, they chronicle Esau's greed and grief. Over and over again, he bitterly urges or begs his father for the blessing. And look at what he says there in verse 36 again. He has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now, behold, he has taken away my blessing. That's not quite right on both counts, actually. I mean, Esau willingly sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. He, he didn't consider it worthy of keeping. Or perhaps he just assumed that he could have it back kind of whenever he wanted. And while Jacob was a deceptive cheat, that is for certain, the blessing was never Esau's to begin with. Right? He was not entitled to it. It was God's to give. And God determined that he would give it to 
Jacob. The choice that lay before Esau now was this. Would he, like Isaac, submit to God's unstoppable plan? Would Esau submit to God's unstoppable plan? Would he accept that God's blessing will be mediated through Jacob? Would he then joyfully serve his brother and unite himself to the blessing bearer? Or will he rage on in hostility and in hate? You can see the end of it at the end of the chapter. But realize he could share in the blessing if he united himself in humble service to his brother. And what about you? Will you unite yourself to the blessing bearer, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the only way to receive blessing. You can go on rebelling against God's purposes, or you can humbly submit to His promises and come into union with His Son, Jesus Christ. Notice, though, that Esau, he loved the blessing for the bounty that came with it, not the God who blesses. This is the difference between greed and gratitude. Greed loves the gifts for the gain that they bring to an individual. Gratitude loves the giver of the gifts and the glory that they bring to God. Esau's tears were not tears of godly grief. They were tears of worldly grief. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. That's not what happened with Esau. He says, whereas worldly grief produces death. Esau was grieving over the loss of worldly wealth. Not the privilege of being in covenant relation to the God of blessing or caring for the line of the Messiah. His grief was entirely misplaced. Greed and grief are powerful emotions. And sometimes they can be used to change a circumstance or a decision. Have you ever made a decision, perhaps even a right and righteous decision, But someone comes along and uses an emotional appeal to get you to change your mind. I mean, maybe you have even successfully gotten someone to change their minds through using emotions. Maybe you were a kid and your parents grounded you for a couple of weeks. Not that that happened to me, but maybe to you, right? Um, So you were grounded, but you you went uh, to your parents and you cried. And you told them about how you're going to miss this sporting event. And your team really needs you. So please, would you change your mind? Or uh, you cried and you said you were going to miss this social event and, and it would be really embarrassing if you had to explain to your friends that you were grounded and that you couldn't go. And maybe, just maybe, your parents changed their mind and they allowed you to go to that game or go to that event. Is that what happens with Isaac? Does he give in to the son he loves and actually intended to bless? Does he revoke that blessing to Jacob in response to Esau's greed and grief? No. Greed and grief do not stop God's blessing of Jacob. But Esau does get a blessing. Sort of. I mean, do you see it in verses 39 to 40? It's a complete reversal of Jacob's blessings. It is an unblessing. Except for the last line. When you grow restless... You shall break his yoke from your neck. Yes, the older will serve the younger. But in time, Esau and his descendants would break out from under Israel's rule. I think that's probably looking forward to the days of King Joram in 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 20 to 22. In those days, Edom actually successfully threw off Israel's rule. They they broke the yoke and lived in some measure of freedom for a time. And freedom was, of course, a blessing. 
Whatever the case may be, Esau's grief and greed did not stop God from blessing Jacob. And that is what I want us to think about as we conclude. In Genesis 27, we have seen that sinners stop at nothing, including rebelling, manipulating, and deceiving to get what they want. And we have seen that committed rebels, liars, and schemers were bowled over by the unstoppable blessing of God. You may be tempted to think that Jacob and Rebekah got everything they wanted, but it's not true. I mean, given the threat on his life from Esau, which is what the rest of the chapter bears out, Jacob was forced to leave home. And now, he would come to experientially learn how dangerous deception is. And he himself, in time, will be deceived. He received the blessing, but it was not without burden. It is a mercy of God that sometimes he stops us from getting everything we want in the way that we want. It is a mercy of God that not every person and plan is unstoppable. And it is a mercy of God that His plan to bless His people is unstoppable. Beloved, take heart that as we eat of this meal in just a few moments, we will remember that God's plan to eternally bless us is unstoppable. I mean, in the very giving of this meal, Jesus told us that His plan was unstoppable. When Jesus instituted this meal, He told us that we would proclaim His death until He comes. That means that He's going to come again. And no one can stop Him from coming again. When He does this, this small foretaste of communion that we're going to revel in today, when Jesus comes back, we will get to experience the great marriage supper of the Lamb, the eternal blessing of God. This is a foretaste of that final and future blessing. God's plan to bring His people into His place under His rule, as one Christian put it, is an unstoppable plan. And our hope of enjoying that eternal blessing is not in any of our scheming or striving, but in Christ alone. Christian, before you rebel, before you manipulate or scheme to get what you perceive to be some good thing, remember God's unrivaled perfection. His unwavering commitment to His promises. Remember His unstoppable power that He possesses all of the means to procure your unending blessing. Trust God who has promised to work all things together for your good and His glory. You will receive God's eternal blessing not because you are unstoppable, but because He is. You will receive God's eternal blessing not because you are so determined to get it, but because God is so determined to give it. Let us rest in His great power and plan for us. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together.